fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Hawks fans. Welcome to the Hawks Playbook Podcast again. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead, and I'm here with Keith Myers. Hey, Keith. How's it going? It's going good. I'm back from the beach. I've got a tan. I'm ready to record. Let's, let's talk some Seahawks training camp. And we made it to training camp. I know. We did. We survived, is... we survived the offseason. It is done, and we're now, you know, starting next week, we'll have actual football to talk about, actual players on the field. That'll be way more fun than, well, I don't want to say way more fun, because the beer episode was a lot of fun, so... I was excited about that. These have been fun. So this is our 20th episode, and we started back in February, right at the beginning of the offseason, pretty much. And it is interesting, because when you're in it every week, and you're still talking about stuff, and you're generating information and so forth, it goes by a little slower. I mean, it goes by a little slower only in the fact that you're really kind of keeping track of time. And, uh, you know, sometimes in the past, I would literally turn off the offseason, and I would wake up again at training camp. So I would... I would leave the Super Bowl or leave the playoffs, and I would kind of keep track of some stories and kind of plug in once in a while, but then I would just really focus back in at training camp. And this year, it's been all focus, and uh, it is interesting that way. Yeah, one of the disadvantages of covering the team is I don't get to have that uh, football hibernation. I, You know, you're kind of in it year-round, 52 weeks a year, and it makes for... A long off season because there are times yeah. when there just is not stories to talk about, uh, and you have to just go through and you know do some stats analysis or something in order to have something to write about every day. So this week marks the forty first, right? Forty first or forty second? Forty first training camp in Seahawks history, and uh, this podcast we're going to focus on the questions that uh, both Keith and I think should be or we want to have answered by the end of camp who will step up who might fall Um, but first let's talk about what's in the news then we'll go straight into the training camp featured segment and uh, because we have a lot to go over today so it'll be a fun show Uh, a couple things in the news this past week was that uh, I saw Russell Wilson was visiting China I thought that was interesting because I, it looks like the Seahawks want, or not only the Seahawks, but the NFL wants to develop that market. Um, and one of the ways that they're doing that is they're they're sending over some of their premier players to go over there and and uh, work with some of the local folks to find out some interest, uh, kind of as a football ambassador and so forth. So it was interesting uh, because Wilson uh, was at the Great Wall of China and actually threw a football. The, the the wall kind of went around this curve, but he was standing kind of back a little ways, and he threw it straight over the, down the wall, the length of the wall, but then threw it over the edge of the, the spot that he was supposed to land on. And it, so he threw the ball over the wall of China, which I thought was pretty cool. Wait, are you saying he threw a bomb in China? <laughs> yeah, he, did, he threw a bomb in China. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes, it made headlines all over the world. Uh. Uh, <laughs> one of so the things it was it was kind of cool though to with see Wilson, that with Wilson being there. Um, it's worth noting that when he was talking about his um, passing academy, he was 
trying to figure out a way to set up um, a venue there in China. And now he's in China. I'm sure he's working on on getting that set up while he's there, which is actually kind of a cool development that he's going to have his coaches get over there and and teach some some players, you know, about throwing the football and that kind of thing and trying to get youth uh, interested in in what's really an American sport. You know, 25 years from now, you never know, right? You end up with Chinese football players showing up. That would be Just cool. Just like you've got a few from Europe here and there, some German German guys. And, um, so it would be interesting to see if that if that works. The other news was uh, some of uh, Trayvon Boykin's legal troubles were dismissed this last week. Not all, but uh, the most, uh, probably the most serious uh, against him have been uh, dismissed uh, that would have looked at uh, possibly giving him a probation violation and uh, revocation, which would have uh, spelt a little bit more trouble for him, and that was kind of uh, let go. So he's still facing, a, I think, a misdemeanor charge in Dallas for a similar offense, but uh, it's not uh, related to probation in any way. So the the hope is that he would just uh, get slapped with a fine, and, and that would be it. Yeah, it sounds. It, reading on that, it sounds like most of his issues are 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 going to be okay. And so the CX can actually progress through training camp under the yes. assumption that Boykin's going to be available uh, for this season, which is, which is big. Uh, you know, that's a, it's good news for the Seahawks. It is. It's good news. <clears throat> and it wasn't something that we could just take for granted. Be like, Oh yeah, this was going to be taken care of. And that was part of the reason why they went and um, signed um, Austin was so that way they had, uh, a legit backup if Blinken was going to be gone. So now that they know that this is taken care of, we have a genuine competition for the number two quarterback spot. Yes. It, it, well, well, that is true. I, you know, you can't get over the fact that the Seahawks invested a full year in Trayvon Boykin last year, and I'm sure that they would prefer that he emerges this year as the backup again, so that they can t- continue that development. Yeah, I think they'd prefer that, but if he regressed at all or just isn't making those strides and isn't improving at the rate that they want and they, they you know, they feel that um that Davis gives them a, a better uh backup this year, a better chance to win games if Wilson has to go down, they won't, you know, they won't hesitate to, to um to make that switch. So, it's one of those it's it is an interesting situation where they they have Boykin, they like him, they want to develop him, but they are in a win-now mode, and they're not going to sacrifice uh, their ability to win games if Wilson gets hurt this season for the well, development Well, they did last player. year, Keith. What's the difference? They have options this year. Last year, they didn't. They really wanted Tavares Jackson back last year, and then that kind of fell apart, and they got stuck with, uh, with Boykin, and he kind of stepped up and, and showed that he could handle it well enough that they didn't have to go overpay for a veteran at the last minute. Um, and so they're just in a different situation this year. Yeah, I agree. He did step up last year and, and uh, made me feel a lot more comfortable going forward with him uh, this year and beyond. I think he's a kind of a perfect backup, um, especially if he can avoid turnovers and just, you know, march the, the ball down the field, which he did show he could do last year. So yep. um, looking forward to seeing what he does in – in training camp, and we'll, uh, in addition to uh, Boykin, we'll talk about a number of players uh, today in the podcast. And uh, you know, Keith and I will give our thoughts uh, about uh, 
quite a few number of, of players. Not everybody. We just don't have time. But uh, some of the key players that uh, that'll have the most interest in camp. So let's get right to it, Keith. Let's talk about training camp. Um, what is training camp? Let's just talk with the basics. You know, at the, at the beginning here. What's the logistics uh, for training camp? What is it? Where is it? Why should you go? Uh, those sorts of things. And, and you've been to the Virginia Mason Center. I have not. Um, so why don't you talk about your experience and what fans can expect? Okay, so what is it? It's These are practices. They last uh, about three hours. They start, uh, it's different every day, but usually around 10 o'clock and then they, you know, or 9 o'clock, you know, 10 o'clock. It depends on the day. And they go till around um, just after lunch, somewhere in there. Uh, their, their practices, you see everything from individual drills, you get special teams work, you get seven-on-sevens, you see full team workouts. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on. There's usually uh, multiple drills going on in multiple parts of the field uh, at any one time, so it's pretty fast-paced, especially under Pete Carroll. There's music blaring. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what you see when you get there is what the team is working on. These are You'll actually get a chance to see the, you know, what the identity of the team is going to be. You're going to see them working on, um, you know, how to coordinate, you know, the running game and and uh, passing combinations or sorry, route combinations and that kind of stuff. And and it it really you get a feel for what the team wants to be, uh, since a lot of this stuff isn't. Or you know, there's a lot of stuff that isn't with a de- you know isn't with the defense there, or you, or they have the defense, but it's seven on seven, so there's no one rushing the passer, and it's really quick and fast paced, and so you get a really good uh, view of what the team wants to be when you're watching training camp. The other part of it is that you can see, you you get to watch the coaches teach, and you get to watch the players learn, and that is it's really fun. You, you really get into um, how close. Can you get Keith? It depends on which day you go because of which field they're on. There are three fields at the VMAC. There's one uh, right next to the berm. So the berm is is a basically a big hill, which is where all the fans sit. Um, big grass hill, and there's a field right next to it, you, which puts you pretty right, much right up next to the field. You can see everything really well. There's the far field where it's a lot harder to see anything because it's there, there's just that gap. There's a, a field between the berm and the, where the players are, are, are uh, working out and practicing. And then there's uh, field three, which is or the south field, which is rotated 90 degrees from the other two fields, and it, it goes kind of the, you know, the lengthways across the two. And with, with, on those days, again, you, you don't really have the, the half the berm you can kind of see and when they're can on that mo- end, but then you can also go down around the side, and um, there's a little like mini berm on next to that field, and so it gets crowded, but you can you can still see and be right up next to next to <clears throat> the action again. So, it, so would your advice be to find a place and sit in one spot, or do you think that it's better if you stand somewhere and move around, following certain drills and so forth? Can you do that? Um, and, and do you want to take uh, binoculars, for example? Well, okay, so I would say bring them because if they're on the far field, you, you'll be able to see a lot better if you've got some some, some sort of magnification. So uh, they don't have to be great binoculars, you know, not expensive ones, but something that'll help you watch uh, a little better. I would say find a spot and sit because it gets crowded, and if you move, you'll lose your spot, and you, you're not always guaranteed a chance to that you're going to get a better spot. 
um, you know, a better view once you start moving around. So get there a little early, pick a good spot, and uh, you know, make sure that so, you. So you it's not. Clunk. It's not like the old Cheney days. No, it's not like that at all. Because you know, the old Cheney days when you'd go, there'd be at most fifty people there, and you could literally just walk up, you know, right behind the players and, and just right, w- right watch from the, the sunlight. They used to have a fence. Yeah, you know, a little fence that you not a full height fence, but just kind of waist high, and you'd stand right there, and you could just watch and move around to different drills and so forth. Yeah, you could follow um, players so, around, or yeah. or hey, I want to go watch the running backs, and you watch them for a while, and you go, yeah, this is boring. Let's go uh, watch the offensive linemen, and so then, you know, just go down to that drill. No, it's not really like that um, at the VMAC, just because there's so many more people it, there. It's just crowded. There's lots of people there. It's a lot of fun though. Um, it's still a great time. Uh, bring sunblock. If you know, check the weather. Bring yeah, sunblock. Yeah, there's no shade. Bring water. Those are those those are our two things that um, I would recommend. Also, get there early. Um, because and I think too, uh, Keith. Today, uh, this year, I believe they're using the plastic bag. Um, scenario clear mm-hmm. clear bag yep. so if you are going to bring water you're only going to have to be able to bring a couple of bottles yep and I, i'm sure they have it for sale though but the lines would probably be ridiculous actually they're not uh, most people like the lines for there there's usually there's food um and you know there's a miniature pro shop so you can go buy shirts or whatever and and that kind of stuff the, the lines usually aren't too bad um but if you're doing that you're not watching football true this is true. So let's talk about uh, the football stuff because we're going to get into it now for the first time. We're actually going to be able to see uh, the results. Training camp starts on Sunday. Uh, podcast is recorded here on Wednesday, published on Thursday. So just in a couple days, we'll be able to actually see some results of what we're talking about, which I know. is awesome. I'm excited <laughs> for that. It's it's crazy. But uh, in 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 our mind, or at least in my mind, I think the, the single biggest question coming out of camp this year uh, before it ends, is who is going to emerge as our starting five offensive linemen, and where will they line up? So why don't you kind of, in your brain, why don't you run through what your best-case scenario would be, what you'd like to see? My best-case scenario would be that uh, George Fant steps up and owns that left tackle spot. Um, one, because he has the talent and the, you know, the physical skills. And if he has improved his technique to a point where he can step in and own that, that's going to be huge. So I would put him, my best case scenario is he wins the left tackle spot that moves, um, Jokel inside the left guard, Britt at center, uh, Glowinski at right guard, and then either a Fetty or Posick, depending on who wins that job out at right tackle. Yeah, I think in my mind, that's probably the best lineup and, and most likely to emerge if you give it a percentage um, of likelihood. Uh, you could see Odiambo possibly emerge, especially if Jokel is not quite ready to completely go mm-hmm. at the beginning of camp um, with his with his knee surgery <clears throat> last year. I've, I haven't heard any indication that he uh, isn't full go, but I haven't heard any indication that he is. And so Odiambo might get the get the, the reps, uh, starter reps up there at the beginning of camp, which may give him a leg up in the competition. So that'll be an interesting one to watch, I think. And then Glow on the other side. He played uh, right guard in college. He's back to that position. 
it'll be interesting to see uh, if there's if he has to adapt it all there or if he's just kind of a natural fit and if he just assumes that role and never really gives it up or if a guy like Posick can come in and, and take that right guard spot. I think that would be an ideal spot. If Posick did emerge, I think that would be the spot that you'd want to put him in. You don't want to put him on the outside edge if you didn't have to as a first-year pro. I think if Fetty can take that right tackle spot, that's the ideal thing. But I tell you what, if Glow or Fetty stumble a little bit out of camp and Posick just you can't ignore the fact that he's one of the best five linemen on the team, uh, I think that Cable is going to want to find a spot for that guy. Yeah, and don't count out Abushi uh, in that right guard spot because that's what they signed him for was to to be that right guard and so they can move a Fetty outside and to be a veteran presence. Um, yeah. Now, granted, then they got Posick and then they, um, you know, realized that Jokel was probably going to be a guard instead of the left tackle. And and, Fant, and Fant emerged. And so yeah, and, and they moved and they moved. Um, Glowinski over there too so there's a lot of stuff going on but when they signed him it was to be that veteran presence next to Effetti at right guard so that way they they had that so don't count him out Keith I think that he he may have a leg up on Posick at least initially I mean you can't argue with the fact that um Abushi's experience trumps Posick's um potential yeah you know that's all that's all Posick is right now is potential and so and until he proves that he can do something in, in the games, um, uh, uh, Abushi's probably got um, at least the – he's probably ahead of him on the depth chart. Let's put it that way, at least initially. Yeah, I'm a little worried on the, the left side more than the right just because Fant is such an unknown and Jokel's knee is still – you know, and Odeo is the only guy over there. Yeah, because the because it's competing. Because they moved uh, Glow over to the right side, so I'm a little bit more concerned about that side. But the truth is, you look at all the names that we've talked about. That's a lot of players. If somebody gets hurt or somebody doesn't step up, somebody regresses, they have the pieces to fit in and still have a somewhat competent line. So, which is better than in the past, especially last year where they did not have a competent line. And they didn't really have pieces to fit in to form one. I know that all Seahawks fans are going to be watching the line this year. I mean, that's just definitely going to be one of the stories that comes out of training camp. And so we'll definitely keep an eye out on that. Keith, what was your biggest question going into camp that that you may have had um, that you're going to keep your eye on? Well, my biggest question was definitely the offensive line, uh, which we just talked about. Uh, partly because it is it was the Achilles heel of the team last year, but also because I'm kind of an offensive line specialist when it comes to evaluating players and that kind of stuff. So that's what I focus on all the time, um, and so that's what that's what I'll be watching. But the other one for me is just the overall health of all the injured players from last year. You know, both the starting safeties, Lockett. Um, you know, just you know Wilson. Obviously, he he was kind of healthy by the end of the year, but just. Um, kind of watching how these guys recover and get back, you know, is uh, ProSize a hundred percent? Is Rawls going to be able to stay healthy? Is um, Eddie Lacy, you know, going to be healthy? It's just there's just a lot of there was a lot of banged up guys, a lot of injured guys uh, right. last year, and so it's just the overall health. Can are these guys back, and can they get to Week One healthy? I I think I totally agree, and you kind of 
ran off three of the key players in the running back group. I think that's definitely one uh, area that I'm going to keep my eye on it. Who out of camp is going to emerge as the starter, the clear starter, or if Pete is going to opt for kind of a tandem um, starter role where he uh, swaps back and forth Eddie Lacy and Rawls and, and how those guys respond to that competition or if that's, in fact, what ends up happening is they have kind of a tandem uh, role to play as a starter. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. And something that, you know, you'll get a sense in training camp if you're actually there watching practice. You'll be like, who is, even when they're just doing like the, the, the little drills, who is Wilson handing off to and who is Blinken handing off to? Uh, even when it's just like where they're working on footwork and stuff and there's no defense, because that'll give you an idea of who is number one on the depth chart, uh, at least on that day. And if that's the same person every day, then that means that the team is kind of set on who's going to be the starter. And then once we get into the games, you'll, you'll notice that it it really does mimic what what you see in practice. And, you know, so th- those are one of the fun things about getting to training camp and being able to watch uh, is you kind of get a feel for what what's really going on because Pete will be like, oh, yeah, it's, right. a, it's an open competition and they're both going to get reps and whatever. But then if you're actually there at practice, you'll see, ah, uh, no, this guy's getting all the time with the ones. The other guy's getting all the time with the right. twos. And it just isn't the same. So what what do you say well, is true? So The off season has been going for a long time with the team. I mean, yeah. they just don't show up to training camp and they don't really kind of know where anybody's going to play or where they fall on the depth chart these guys have a specific idea already going into the first day of camp where guys are going to be where they fall on the depth chart and they're going to start practice that way so if uh, they believe Shaq Griffin is going to emerge as the number two corner he's going to get starter reps right at the beginning if yeah, they don't absolutely. or if Jeremy Lane has looked better in some of these off-season drills that they've been working on and so forth in these mini camps uh, he could have come come in, in in third or fourth place, and we just don't know yet because they just don't talk about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we're gonna. Well, I think one of the things we're gonna be looking at um, with these first few practices is, is that rotation at cornerback. We know where Richard Sherman's gonna be, right? He's gonna be over there, the left side. He's he's kind of the the anchor, the rock in that that cornerback group. Everyone else is fighting for a roster spot or playing time or both. You know, Griffin's obviously going to make the team, but is he going to be the starter at the number two? Is he going to be the slot corner? Um, or, you know, or, or at least come in and move Jeremy Lane into the slot. Is somebody else going to step up and take that number two spot? You know, yeah. like you a, got a Pierre, Pierre Desir, Desir out there, DeAndre Elliott, Nico Thorpe. I mean, yep. uh, Shaq, Shaq Griffin. Um you know, there's there's a couple other guys that yeah. are out there. So who who's gonna take who's gonna take over and really win that that number two job? And what does that do with the three? Because if it's not um Shaq Griffin who wins the number two, now Griffin then slides inside and has a chance to push Lair- Jeremy Lane for playing time um as the nickel corner. And so there's a there's a lot of moving pieces there. And it's one of those things don't just watch, you know, how people are doing, but watch how the rotation is. Um, when Sherman comes off the field, because he will, uh, and because they're not going to run him out there for every single rep, who's the first guy that steps in behind him? Because that'll give you an idea for who is next in line for that number two corner job. Uh, because it might be uh, 
Sherman and Griffin out there with the starters, but when Sherman comes off the field and you get Nico Thorpe there in Sherman's side, that means he's probably the next in line behind uh, Griffin because that's they they outside of Sherman they they just will swap guys back and forth between left and right. So right. those rotations so talk, can be fun to watch. Talk to me a, a minute about a, a nickel corner. Uh, slot corner versus a number two corner opposite Richard Sherman, and who is competing for what? Okay, so the with the guys on the outside, the number two corner, the one opposite Sherman. These are the the team's profile for them. They want guys that are longer um, and faster, straight line speed, uh, because they have the boundary to protect. They're, they've really only they've they've. You can push the receiver out. You've got the the sideline to help you, so they don't really need to worry about you know that that really short area quickness. They want guys that can get deep in the cover three and run with anyone, but also you know that length and with between the length of the of the cornerback and the sideline, make it really hard to complete those long passes. And so these are the Pierre Desirs, the Nico Thorpes, obviously Sherman. Um, you could throw even uh, like a Demi- uh, Demetrius McRae in yeah. there, or a Mike Tyson, even who they drafted, who's six one two oh seven. Yeah, He's got but good with, size, but with long arms too. Right, yeah, right, um, right. And so those he are the... played safety in college, but he's they're converting him to a corner in, uh, for the team. Yep. So those are the guys that um, you want on the outside. You don't really want to see them in the nickel because when they're when they're the the nickel or the slot corner, you don't have that boundary. And so when the um, when the receiver comes off the line, they can go inside or they can go outside. It's really more about short area quickness and being able to you know stick with anyone. And when you get the taller guys, the the longer guys, they they tend to struggle in that role a little bit more. Um, there are very few Richard Shermans out there that can handle um, a slot receiver, a quick guy. Um, and have all that size and length. And these are right. that, that's where Jeremy Lane actually yep. before last season that's where he's really excelled because he is um he's a little shorter for, you know, a, a, he's six he's, he's still 6 foot, but he's 6 foot 190. So he's a little smaller stature than some of the other guys. Yeah, and he's a little quicker and so he actually like last year he had an off year, but before that he was really uh solid in that role. Um and Shaq Griffin actually fits that profile, too. He can play inside. And so those are the two guys that I'm really looking at as who's going to be the slot corner. Um, now, but that doesn't mean that if they're the slot corner that they can't also be the number two. Because this is what happened um, at points back in 2015 where Jeremy Lane would, was playing on the outside. And then yeah. when they brought in... I the, only think... I only think that was for necessity. Though. It was. I mean, it, ideally, the team wants Jeremy Lane to play that slot. And yeah. they want they want um, somebody else to emerge as the number two corner, it, ideally. True. But if you have Shaq Griffin um, win the slot corner job and the number two, he can do that because he'll be on the outside when they're in the base defense. And when they bring on the third cornerback, he slides inside on, into the slot and the third cornerback comes in on the outside. And so you can have... Uh, those two jobs kind of be manned by the same person, and the third cornerback yep. is one of the taller outside guys. And we saw that at times, um, you know, in the past where they'd uh, move Jeremy Lane from the outside into the slot and bring in whether it be Therald Simon or you know someone like that to play on the outside in those nickel situations. Well, you know, they did the same thing uh, in the safety. 
spot this year. Uh, they wanted that versatility, and so they brought in uh, Bradley McDougald. And they, it sounds like they really like uh, McDougald to be able to not only play uh, strong safety, but free safety, play some slot, drop back into coverage, play up on the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's a big guy, 6'1", 209. He's quick, got some good speed, and he's very smart. He's got a, a very good uh, football IQ. Yeah, that's kind of the role when they drafted Mike Tyson. That's kind of the role that I expected him to fit him into is the situation where they play with three safeties. Um, go back to 2011 when they uh, and 2010 when they had that bandit formation. Um, the bandit safety is the third safety, and that was Cam Chancellor in 2010, uh, Atari Bigby in 2011. And then they've kind of gone away from that. But where you have that third safety, and if you you get in there and the offense dictates, oh, wait, we don't want a third safety. We actually needed a nickel corner. Well, you know, then you've got McDougal who can slide over and yeah. and, and play that, that nickel corner. Um, and if the formation says, no, we really want three safeties, well, then, you know, you have three safeties. And I think Mike Tyson's versatility gives them that option as well. So it, that's a wrinkle that we all kind of expect to see. We expected to see it last year with Kelsey McCray, and it never developed. Right. So we'll see what happens. <clears throat> I think that you could expect uh, Bradley McDougal to be on the field a lot this year because they can leave him on the field. And if teams, uh, you know, uh, go away from their base offense, um, call some audibles on the line. They, he can rotate and switch around on the defense, and they're totally fine with that. And, and a guy like that just is, has huge value in the Seahawks defense. Yeah, agreed. And I think that, um, I mean, that's what... what when the coaches talk, that's what they say they want out of him. Like I said, that's also what they said they wanted out of Kelsey McCray last year, and they didn't get. That was right. kind, of, kind of what they were talking about with Brandon Browner last year, and then they cut him. So there was. But Bradley McDougal has proven it that he can do it. He yeah. was in that Tampa Tampa defense. He was a starter, played starter minutes. Again, very smart guy, very adaptable. It sounds like the team loves him. Yeah, and they—that's why they signed him. That's why they went out and got him. I mean, he was a starter. In Tampa, and they went out and even though they have two starting safeties, they went out and and paid for him and got him so they could they could use him in that role. So hopefully we'll see it. And it's just like I said, it the my I I will believe it when I see it a little bit because they said all of those things last year, and then when you actually got out to practice, you never saw it. Like Brandon Browner in that third that safety role with you know the the third safety whatever. They didn't practice it. He wasn't in that role. He they just had him lining up at cornerback and and proving that he is slow and unable to cover. Right. Um, That's right. And, you know, pr- you know, day in and day out, they never really showed that role in practice for him. Um, and so when they get out there this year, when we're watching practice, do you see McDougal out there with the starters ever, or is he just a backup safety? And that's what we're going to see once they take the field and start practicing. One other guy that uh, the Seahawks really like, uh, every report that I've read coming out of mini camps is Tedrick Thompson, their free safety guy that they drafted out of Colorado this year to, um, to learn the ropes behind Earl Thomas. It sounds like uh, he has a chance to earn playing time as kind of that reserve role in that free safety spot. Yeah, I, the team is definitely looking at their depth um, in the defensive secondary because of what happened last year. With, you know, when Earl Thomas went down, they had Stephen Terrell, who has a lot of speed, but 
prove that he just doesn't have the instincts or the ball skills or the tackling ability. And there's just, he just wasn't a good player and the defense completely fell apart. Um, and so now you've got uh, a guy that they really like and they, you watch his college tape and you go, you know, this guy can play in the NFL. Um, and, he, and now is the backup. So they're going to be gr- really grooming him uh, in that role. So if something happens to Earl Thomas again, they're not going to be completely uh, clueless on the back end of the defense. Uh, another position um, that I'm going to keep my eye on a little bit is we brought in a ton of linebackers this year, and and probably the guy that I'm most interested to find out if he can carve out a spot on the team, specifically a starter spot at the strong side linebacker, is Michael Will Hoyt. Um, we picked him up. He, he previously had been with San Francisco. Um, he's a little shorter than I think they may have wanted at that sound, but he's got great experience and, um, he's, he's kind of a physical guy can, can drop back in coverage, can rush the passer on, on specific, uh, scheme, uh, rushing downs. What do you think about that guy? Well, they brought him in, I think to be that, to win that job. He is, um, a veteran. He was a starter in San Francisco um, and they brought him in to be a non-question mark, uh, in that spot, because that's what they, what they had last year is they were like, well, you know, Mike Morgan was kind of supposed to have that role nailed down, but he got hurt. And then they just rotated through guys, uh, whether it was Brock Coyle or Jordan Tripp or, um, Cassius Marsh. And they're just trying to find someone who could, you know, who could just deal with the requirements of that position. And they never really found anyone they were happy with. So they went out and got a veteran that they could count on. The other thing that they, that he does is he was an inside linebacker. Now granted they had a three, four defense, so it's a little different than a middle linebacker and a four, three, but it's kind of the same idea. He was an inside linebacker. So he gives them a true backup to uh, Bobby Wagner. If Bobby Wagner goes down. So you're going to see him, in practice, it would doing both roles. So he's gonna, he is the starter at the Sam until someone beats him out for that spot, and he is the backup at um, at the Mike linebacker, the middle linebacker spot. So a last group on the defense that I want to talk about briefly is a trio of players that uh, I want to look at in training camp to see where they're at. Uh, Nazir Jones, uh, defensive tackle that we picked up uh, in the fourth round. Fifth, Fifth round, fourth round, fourth round. Um, this year in the draft, uh, run stuffing prototype tackle Malik McDowell. Obviously, everyone's going to have their eye on him to find out if he's everything that they're they've been talking about. And then Quentin Jefferson is a guy that we didn't really get a chance to see beyond training camp last year. He kind of flashed and then he went away, and so we've kind of forgotten about him. But he's there now, almost like a you know a, an eleventh draft pick. Uh, for the Seahawks this year is a guy that could really have an impact that that nobody's really talking about. Yeah, that's a good that's a good trio um, of young defensive tackles uh, with a lot of talent. Um, you know, Naz Jones is going to push Atiyah Rubin for his job, uh, and if he looks like he can play and you know does everything that the team expects him to be able to do uh, throughout training camp and in the preseason, you know, Atiyah Rubin might end up you know, being a salary cap casualty here at the end of training camp. So, uh, like there's a lot of, 
uh, pressure there, you know, for those guys. That's going to be a good camp battle to watch. Um, and the other two are pass rushers. I mean, that's and that's what the team desperately needed last year was pass rushers on the inside, guys that can get, you know, collapse the pocket a little bit or get to the quarterback straight up the middle. Um, Malik McDowell, when he was on, was unblockable. And Quentin Jefferson showed a lot of quickness and good hand usage when he was out there and, and was really tough to block too. And so those two guys offer the team a lot, but at the same time, they're both unknowns because Jefferson could not stay healthy. Uh, McDowell's a rookie and there are some effort questions with him. So it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of watch those guys and see how, you know, there's a lot of talent at defensive tackle because you got, you know, Jerron Reed and Ruben and, and some other guys in there. There's a lot of talent there competing for limited spots. So, a couple other players that I wanted to talk about. Well, there's actually there's a lot of different players, but um, moving over to the offensive side, let's talk about the wide receiver group just for a, a minute. And two players that uh, that we drafted this year that are intriguing to me. And David Moore, <clears throat> nobody's really talking about him at all, but they really like him for his size. He's 6'2", 219, has a lot of athleticism. Um, has good blocking skills, which the Seahawks really like. And I want to see if he gets any catches at all in camp. Because if he doesn't, he he's definitely a prime uh, practice squad type guy. But if he does emerge where he's catching the ball and he's making plays, and all of a sudden you're seeing his name float around a little bit, that's a guy to watch for me. The other guy is uh, Darbo, obviously, uh, who has a chance to earn rotation playing time this year. I think he's got good ball skills. Uh, if he can learn specifically, I think, from Doug Baldwin on how to read uh, and diagnose um, defenses and run routes with precision, that guy might have a spot. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's start with Moore because with Moore, what I want to see from him is uh, – is his route running because he, when you look at, um, you know, the mini camp and, uh, the, the OTAs, he really struggled getting separation. He's, his routes were just very underdeveloped. You know, there's some athleticism there, huge catch, catch radius, great hands, good size. Um, so there's lots to like, but he needs to learn how to run a route and to set a defender up so that when he makes his break, um, at the, you know, at the top of the route that, you know, the, that there's a spot for uh, Wilson to throw the ball to. and so Right, because there's just not a lot of speed there. Yeah, there isn't. He, there's, there's a lot of athleticism, but, you know, the, the, the pure speed and, and quickness, that's not where, where he is. He's more of a... Um, Anquan Bolden type of guy. Yeah, that's, that's a, good, um, a good example. Um, and so he has to show that he can, you know, do some of that veteran craftiness with his routes and, and ability to shield the ball and... And that kind of stuff. That's really what I'm looking for with him. Uh, with Darbo, for him, you, you know, you, it really is what you were talking about. The Seahawks run a lot of um, what are called option routes, where you know they what the wide receiver runs depends on the defense and what's opposite um, them, and so the defense kind of dictates which route the the wide receiver is going to run, whether it's going to be a stop or a dig or an out. Um, and it's not the individual player uh, that, that, you know, the cornerback. It's the overall defense, you know, the, and the, the scheme and the defensive concept that they're in. Um, that's going to dictate that. And so it's, it's designed around, you know, 
if, okay, so they're running, you know, a cover two concept. So in that, in this particular instance, a stop is going to be give them the um, it's going to attack that defense in in the the best way of the three options. So the wide receiver has to look at and basically see the same thing that the quarterback does, because they're both going to be like they're, they're both going to identify the coverage, identify what the weaknesses are, are in you know that coverage screen, and go okay, and I'm going to run the this option, not not the out, not the dig. I'm going to run the stop, and the the quarterback and the wide receiver have to make the same read, or it doesn't work. Um, can he do that? Because that was something that Doug Baldwin actually did really well as a rookie, and just how he was able to carve up such a a, a large playing time back in 2010 um, as a rookie, even though he was undrafted, because he's really smart. He just had that high football IQ, and Darbo's got to learn to do that. And if he can. Um, that's going to be where he gets his playing time because he is a bigger, more athletic, much better hands, you know, go down the list of Jermaine Curse. But the reason why Jermaine Curse gets the playing time in the last couple of years is because he and Wilson are always on the same page for all those routes. So if they can get a better physically version of Curse, um, who can still make all those same reads, he's going to have a role. Like he's guaranteed, right. you know, he's going to have well, that I, role and the team's going to be better going, for it. I think going into the draft, the Seahawks were thinking exactly that, that yeah. we would like an upgrade mm-hmm. at the Jermaine curse role. Here's where we're going to find it. Yes. And so, and that's exactly what Darbo gives them. And so we need to see that. And it's hard to see that um, in practice because we don't know the play call. And so we don't know what, whether he you know ran that or not, but you can kind of tell a little bit if you watch um, if there's any hesitation from the quarterback because if there is, then that means he the quarterback doesn't know if there is, if Darbo's going to be where he's supposed to be or if he has to wait and see if that route's going to be run correctly. Um, and if if there's you don't see any hesitation by whoever's playing quarterback on that um, on that rep, then it's showing you that the quarterbacks are trusting Darbo to make that read. Here's some interesting, three interesting names at wide receiver that are at the bottom of the depth chart, but provide enough intrigue where I'm going to keep my eye on them in camp for sure. Uh, and you give me kind of a, a little rundown on each each one of them. Um, Kenny Lawler, Cyril Grayson, and J.D. McKissick, who switched from running back to wide receiver. Okay, so let's go start with uh, Cyril Grayson. He's a track athlete, not a football player. Is like 176 pounds, so he's tiny. Um, what I want to see from him is, can he turn that speed that he has into separation, and how good are his hands? And which we we've saw in you know in, in the OTAs and stuff that he can actually he's actually got pretty good hands. But can he? He did impress the coaches. Yeah, can he catch through contact though? Because it's one thing about being able to reach up and grab a ball, even if it's slightly overthrown or slightly underthrown or, you know, that kind of thing. It's another thing to catch the ball while you're being tackled or, you know, go up when there's a defender, you know, there and you're, you're, you have to end a body into them to create a little space as you go up to get the ball and be able to catch through that contact. So that's really what I want to see from him. Um, McKenzie. He was a running back, but he was a running back that was a third down back. So he was really a a guy they wanted out of the backfield. Got a lot of speed, a lot of quickness. He's more of a slot receiver. What I want to see from him are are there can he run a wide receiver 
Bengals' routes and not just a running back's routes. You know, it's one thing to, you know, catch a swing pass out of the backfield. It's another thing to go out and set up a cornerback that's, um, you know, in press coverage, get off the line, make your cut, get some separation. It's it's a different game uh, for that. And I want to see, can he run those routes? And then with Waller, he had to put on a bunch of weight because he was also, he was like Grayson, he was tiny uh, last year. And does he still have the quickness? Because he has great hands, and he had some quickness, um, but now he's about 20 pounds heavier. Does he still have enough quickness to get separation? And if he does, um, I don't understand why he wouldn't make, you know, be have a shot at the team, because he's got good hands. If he still has the quickness and he can avoid getting hurt now that he's a little heavier, um, I can see him carving out a role. He's a guy that a year ago we were hoping would um, challenge for that Jermaine curse role. And then it just kind of never, never happened. So he's a guy that's going to be right in there with Darbo and, and then yeah. can, can he push them for some playing time? I think we can both agree that Tanner McAvoy is the number five wide receiver on the team going into camp. He was, he was on the team last year, number five, number six wide receiver, whatever, whichever the team decides to do, keep one more running back, one more wide receiver. I don't see a guy like Lawler pushing out a guy like McAvoy only because of, of uh, Tanner's size. Yeah, that, that size advantage there gives him the leg up, I believe, on that competition. So, I, and I don't see Lawler specifically like taking Richardson's spot or Darbo's spot or even Curse. I, I, I'm not not this year. It comes down to um, if there's injuries in camp, and so you know because. You want, if you're thinking you're going to keep six wide receivers, then who's the seventh guy? Because the seventh guy is probably going to make the team because someone in the top six is likely to get hurt. It's just it's the nature of the NFL. So, and I could see him being, you know, in that he's he's in that bubble um, with McAvoy. The big one of the things that that people don't uh, always take into consideration is if you're competing for that sixth wide receiver spot, you are not making the team based on your wide receiver skills. Because the difference between the number six wide receiver and the number seven wide receiver in terms of wide receiver skills is often infinitesimally small. You are making the team because of your ability to contribute on special teams. And Tanner McAvoy is a guy that comes off the edge on um, on field goal block situations and does it really well. He gets downfield on um, punt coverage, especially when they're trying to pin the ball deep, you know, and have it, you know, be caught at the five yard line and, you know, that kind of thing. He's a guy that can get down the field and catch, catch the punt out of the air. And so he does a lot of these special team things that make it really hard for someone else to push him off the roster because the other person's probably not going to do those things. And if you're, like I said, if we're talking about a sixth wide receiver, this is someone you're not expecting to be on the field making plays on the offense. They have to be able to beat him out on the special teams role. It's going to be really hard to get McAvoy off the roster. I wasn't going to talk about Tyler Lockett, but now I am for, for a moment because here's the window of opportunity, right? Tyler Lockett is coming into the um, training camp as an unknown quantity as far as where he's at on his rehab with his um, compound fracture broken leg and is he going to be ready to go uh, first day of camp or is he going to be ready to go by the fourth game and they give him a couple snaps and then he's ready to go in the regular season so which one is it Keith or or does he start the season on 
on the, the pop list. Under, on, on the, yeah, unable to perform. Okay, the truth is, we don't know. Uh, we haven't been given an update on Lockett's status since um, many camps. It's been a little over a month now. Uh, and all they said was that, you know, they expect him ready to go for this season. But that doesn't tell us anything. Lockett wants it says that he wants to be ready to go for training camp, but he doesn't get to choose. The, the co- or the team doctors do, and the coaches uh, may hold him back even once the doctors clear him. So we don't know. My expectation is that he's going to start training camp on the physically unable to perform list, which doesn't mean anything because they can activate him off that list at any moment. Um, but what it does mean is if he has some sort of setback in his recovery uh, that he can start the season on the pup if they get that far. He won't. And, and other players can, can get some of those reps. Yeah. And so what happens is, is so I, anyone that's, that's almost everyone that's coming back from injury will start. If they're not ready to play the first minute of the first practice, they'll start the um, training camp on the physically unable to perform list because they can be activated at any time. Um, there'll be people who will be on the pup list uh, the day, you know, the check-in day, which is the day before the first practice, but they'll be activated off of it by the time practice starts on the first day. It's just kind of the way way these things happen. I think the player that you watch the most that benefits the most from Tyler Lockett starting the season that way is Paul Richardson. You know, Paul started uh, last year uh, when Tyler uh, went out and emerged as a as a player that could actually really uh, contribute. And Paul's got probably the most uh, to to gain this year, and the most to lose because it's a contract year for Paul. It's a it's kind of a do or die um, year for him. Yeah, and so what I want to see from Richardson is can he uh, emerge as a playmaker, as a guy that the team trusts to go out there and make plays and 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 contribute on every down. Um, because they really want him to be what Tyler Lockett was his rookie year, um, and actually on some last year before the injury. Uh, and I think he can because he showed he could do that at the end of last season, but he has to, he basically has to show the team enough that they're willing to get him out there on the field and take a Jermaine curse off the field or, you know, that type of thing. So they, and he's not a, someone who's going to be in that Jermaine Curse role, so they have to, you know, kind of alter the offense in order to get the three short guys of uh, Baldwin, Richardson, and and Lockett all in the field at the same time. So uh, he he's got to show that he's ready for that. And if they're going to do that, he's going to have to have reps. And if Lockett's not ready to go, Richardson's going to get all those extra reps in there um, and get his chance to prove that he's ready for that. So one last player that I wanted to mention a little bit is uh, Blair Walsh. Uh, everyone knows that uh, we moved on from uh, Stephen uh, Hauschka uh, this year, went with a younger version of Stephen Hauschka, uh, a guy that was once a promising rookie and an all-pro. Can he regain his form? I mean, that's the big question coming out of camp. Uh, this team believes in him so much so uh, so far that they haven't brought any competition in for him. What do you think about that? You know, uh, it's so hard because when when things went south for him in Minnesota, they went south in a really bad way. He 
just had no com- like no confidence. You could tell in his kicking mechanics. Um, he didn't have a solid plant foot. He was, you know, his toes were pointing in the wrong way. I mean, everything about it was broken. Um, can they fix him? They hope so because the talent is there. Uh, but it, it's a mental game, and you know, he, it's tough because he's a guy with a lot of talent. But you, ha- you people go, oh well, it's just a kicker. Who cares? Yeah, until you need him to make a you know forty-eight yard kick as time expires to turn a loss into a win. Um, do you have confidence in him stepping up and taking that kick? And right now, I don't because I haven't seen anything since when he was in Minnesota. And when he was in Minnesota, it looked bad. So, you know, show me. Just get up there, go through practice, make every kick, yep. get those, get the length on your your. Uh, kickoffs don't look like you're um, gonna sweat a uh, you know at an entire uh, Gatorade just before every kick because you're so nervous. Like sh- <laughs> show show me some confidence, show me some swagger uh, that you're back, and and then I'll believe you. And you know we, we may not know with him until the regular season starts, and the pressure actually is on if he's gonna be able to you know right the ship. You know, the Seahawks did make an investment in Blair Walsh this year, but they didn't make an investment so big that they can't move on from him in training camp if he doesn't do the things that they need him to do. And as luck would have it, kicker is one of the positions in in preseason uh, that uh, many kickers throughout the league get cut. And the Seahawks, uh, you know, if they needed to or wanted to, could have their choice of uh, kickers that emerge in preseason that show some promise, but teams just don't have room for them. And uh, every year you see uh, eventual Pro Bowl kickers being picked up um, all across the league. So it's not the end of the world if uh, Blair Walsh doesn't emerge out of training camp as, as somebody that he can count on. Yeah, I mean, that's how the, how the Seahawks got Steven Hauschka. He's, he was um, cut by the Broncos at the end of training camp, and the Seahawks signed him in that week between training camp and or between the preseason and um, and week one, and yeah, I think that I think this is exactly the Seahawks strategy with Blair this year. Not bring anybody in to push him, or they want to try to build that confidence, that mental uh, game uh, that you had mentioned. Um, and I think the the way that they're doing that is to show that they're completely confident in him going into to camp. But if if the training wheels come off and he falls flat. Um, I, I'm sure that they've got a backup plan in the wings that uh, Schneider's ready to pick up a phone and, and make something happen. So uh, getting towards the tail end of the the, uh, the podcast and the segment, it's prediction time. So Keith, I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, prediction, camp surprise. Who's the biggest surprise to make it on the 2017 roster? Man, I looked at this and, and I was like, wow, there's there are a lot of options um, as far as the, the surprise. And I really couldn't decide on, on one individual. So why don't you give me yours? That way we, we don't I... we don't overlap and then I'll I'll come back and, and um, make sure that we're not because there's to me there was I think eight different ones that I could have picked and I just could not decide on one here. So I think the Tyler Lockett injury gives an opening, not necessarily at wide receiver, but on special teams as a kick returner slash punt returner. I think there's a specialist opportunity open on the team. 
and I'm looking for Cyril Grayson to take it. There's something about that kid. There's the way that they recruited him, the way that they brought him in. I'm hearing the buzz that the coaches are really intrigued with this guy. He, he can catch the ball. I'm I'm thinking that they're going to try him at uh, as a kick returner and and see how he does on punt returns as well. But start him out as a kick returner, and that's my sleeper to make the team. That's and a- I don't know I don't know who would have to lose their spot on the team to make that happen but i think that he's a guy to watch out for yeah see he was um he was a guy that was on my list um of eight guys and it's hard because you're right who do you lose you know if if lockett's not ready to go then you need a punt returner and a kick returner and he's a guy with the speed and everything that could do it and it gives them a, a chance to develop him you know possibly to take over the Paul Richardson role a year from now type of thing. Um, okay, so now that I'm going to leave the um, the wide receiver realm, and uh, since that's the one where you went, and I will go with um, Deion Jordan, a, line, wow. a linebacker defensive end is my surprise then, just trying to be different. Um, because the athleticism there, this is a guy that can just, Anyway, when he was at Oregon, he could just flat out play, and he's never turned into anything with the Dolphins. But he was, um, it was yeah, he was the number three overall pick in the draft. I mean, the the talent is there. They just got to turn it into football results. And if anyone can do it, it'll be the Seahawks. I like the the way that what the coaching staff does with guys like him, and so I think that it's a good a good fit, especially because with his athleticism, he can play that Sam linebacker don't. spot and the rush the passer off as a defensive end you know what I'm, I'm all for that and boy if he would to emerge that would be outstanding i just don't even know if he's going to see the field because i'm not sure where he's at with his injury he's got yeah. an injured knee he didn't participate in the mini camps nobody's really talked about the fact that if he's going to be ready or not um so i'm not sure if he's even going to step on the field yeah but if he does he could definitely be intriguing if he does, and if he can show finally turn all of that athleticism and talent into football, you know, production, then they can have this really a really good player for nothing, because um, this is a guy that does all the things that Bruce Irvin used to do athletically, um, and you know, and and to have a guy like that on the roster again would be huge for the defense. So, I'm that I'll jump in and say that's going to be my big surprise. So camp surprise question number two. Who's the biggest surprise cut by the end of camp? Who's okay. not going to make the team? Again, there are there are more options than people want to admit. Uh, Jermaine Curse is definitely one, the way the wide receivers are working out. But I'm going to go with Cassius Marsh, defensive end. Um, never really show, put the put with the team liked about him and turned it into production as far as sacks and that those kind of things go. So I, there's just too many options this year at that position. He's going to a contract year and I can see him just being on the outside looking in for a roster yeah. spot. He didn't really develop the way that the team wanted to uh, have him develop. And he's been given a lot of opportunity to do so. And mm-hmm. he just doesn't, he just ended up not being as athletic as I think that they thought he was. 
you know, in, in college and came in and just really kind of fell flat a little bit. And maybe this is his year, you know, to put it all together. Um, that's an intriguing uh, prospect to, to see cut. My guy was a guy that we just got last year, um, Joey Hunt. He's uh, kind of our backup center. He only plays center, uh, so his versatility on the offensive line is lacking. And by virtue of drafting Posick, while Posick is not practicing at center, he was a center in college and has that versatility, especially um, Joey Hunt stays on the team if Posick starts at another position, right right mm-hmm. tackle, right right guard. But if uh, Posick ends up being a backup, I think he's a, he swings. I think they have him learn three positions, uh, guard, tackle, and center. And uh, Joey Hunt is the casualty there, only because the team needs roster spots. And Joey Hunt, uh, by virtue of his lack of versatility, is the guy that loses. Well, yeah, and you look at the, the, the 46-man roster on game days. You have your five starters on the offensive line. How many other spots do you want to use up for backup offensive linemen? Um, in the past, the Seahawks would keep two. They'd keep a, a guard, uh, a tackle guard, someone like um, Adiamba who could play both, and they'd keep a center guard, someone like... Uh, Lemuel Jean-Pierre or, you know, a guy like that who can play both. And then they only would only keep two backup offensive linemen and then use that those extra um, roster spots for other players. And so it allows them to have more offensive linemen on the inactive list, I guess is what you're saying. When you have a Joey Hunt as your backup center, you can't really do that because he only plays that one position. So that, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. Yep, so he, and not only that, but he also... he. He isn't gonna. He's not a guy who's gonna contribute a lot on special teams either. So, it it limits his his ability to make the team. So that's not a bad one. Um, another player. Can I can I throw in a, another surprise? Probably. Yeah. Sure. Uh, a Tyre Rubin. Yeah. Well, Defensive you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah. Because they brought in so much talent on a defensive tackle that you know, John Reed. Uh, who's the, who they drafted last year, Nas Jones, who they drafted this year. Um, Quentin Jefferson coming back. Malik McDowell, Malik who they McDowell. drafted this year. There's a lot of talent, um, you know, with that. You look at those four guys, you've got two pass rushers, you've got two run stuffers. That gives you kind of the, the, the versatility and depth that you're looking for. And if they could keep those four guys, you get four young, cheap defensive tackles that can do everything that you need. And Ruben could be on the outside looking in. It would be hard to let go of that veteran presence, but I would totally get it. Yeah. You know, there's enough veterans on that line beyond him where you could you could definitely sacrifice that, I think. Well, it, it really depends on Naz uh, if he's going to emerge. Yeah. I mean, oh. if he emerges, I think uh, uh, Ruben's expendable. Part of the issue here is that you've also got to remember that uh, both Michael Bennett and Frank Clark will take snaps at the three-tech defensive tackle And, and McDowell could, too. Yeah. Um, and so they are guys that slide in and on the nickel. And so it just limits, I mean, how much playing time is Ruben going to get? He's going to be the, the starting three tech in the base, but they only play the base 30% of the time. And if they've got Naz Jones on the roster and they want to get him some playing time in that role. So, okay. So now you're talking about a guy that's going to play what 20% of the snaps, um, 
and Ruben, and are, right. are you? Do you really want to use up the salary cap space it takes to keep him for a guy that's only going to play twenty percent of the defensive snaps? You know, the interesting thing, uh, looking forward into next year, is it looks like we're going to have quite a bit of cap space. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, if if uh, they cut Curse after this year, um, because uh, they could end up with like forty million dollars in in cap space, thirty some odd million dollars. Um, so that you could see some extensions going on this this season, I think, if they wanted to. Yeah, you're gonna see. I, I think we'll see uh, Jimmy Graham uh, get extended here. I do too, um, Keith. Even if it was for another ten million a year, I think that they will do it. I don't think but it'll, it'll be a shorter contract though. Yeah. I think it'll be a two or three year deal. Yep. So I expect Jimmy Graham and Justin Britt to be the two recipients of extensions, and they'll be done in a way that. Um, Okay, now I'm freaking out because you didn't mention Cam Chancellor. I didn't mention Cam Chancellor because I'm unsure about Cam Chancellor. We need to we need to see what um, Tedrick Thompson and Mike Tyson and another safety whose name another rookie whose name is eluding yeah. and me. And they got McDougal um, too, who can, yeah. who can play there. Um, but yeah, so they've got you know the the three rookies and McDougal. They're gonna see what's going on there. Um, Chancellor's now had surgery on both hips he said surgery on both ankles he's struggled to stay healthy the last two seasons um he's, he's a mid-season candidate for a trade they don't there's not a lot of trade in the nfl this no know, more or less but i'm telling you if he can still play but they've got a guy that's behind him that's that's looking like he's can emerge they can yeah. take chancellor's salary off the books and maybe get an offensive lineman or something in return that might might be a better fit. If they're going to do that, it's going to have to be during training camp. They won't do it midseason. Um, one of the things is I mean, you're going to realize that this is the Seahawks are in win now form, and you don't you don't yeah, trade. You, you wouldn't break that up. I don't think this year. Yeah, you, this training camp. you don't you don't trade your um, your starting strong safety uh, in the middle of a win now year. Um, you wait till the season's over and you let it play out and you hope that he helps you win games. Um, now if the Seahawks, if something happens and the team falls apart and they are two and six, then yeah, you could see, I could see them trading Chancellor, uh, mid season, but I don't, do you expect that to happen? Cause I don't expect that to happen. I don't expect that to happen, but you know, it's the NFL. Anything can happen, but I want you to close the show once you have the final word. Um, just give me your general thoughts about uh, the team before camp officially starts, and what you think uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this year, how we're gonna emerge from camp, and and um, where we're positioned. Well, what I'm looking for is I want to see that defensive swagger back. I want to see them fast to the ball. I want to see them hitting. I want to see them. Uh, I want them to. I want that defense to be one that offenses are scared of, and they haven't been the last couple of years. And they were in 2012 and 2013, 2014, uh, and then they started to lose that. And I, that that is the thing that I'm looking forward most to in to see in training camp in the preseason. I thought for sure that you would go offense. I thought for sure that you would say something like the offensive line and how the how the run game can be dominant again and control the ball and. Because you know both of those things kind of work together. They do. You know, you've you've it's got all to have that strong attitude. swagger defense and stopping the ball, and on the other side, you've got to run the ball and control the clock and all that stuff. And I'm looking forward to both this year. Actually, I think the team's going to do both. Yeah, I want to see if Eddie Lacy can be what Marshawn Lynch used to be for the team, and that's that uh, where they step in, 
I mean, Pete Carroll called him the uh, the tone setter because he'd get in there and he'd just hammer people, you know, linebackers in the hole, and and everyone it would get everyone excited, and the line the the linemen would you know block a little harder, and the defense would get out there and want to hit people a little harder, and it was just everyone the energy that came from the team really came from Lynch, and I want to see if if Eddie Lacy especially. Uh, can be that just a guy that can get in there and just really get everyone going, um, just with the way that he plays the game. That'll be a lot yeah. of fun to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm looking forward to out of this preseason. I mean, because there's a lot to get excited about on this team on paper, but let's go see it. Let's see it and then start September rolling. And I'm really looking forward to it. So, with that said, Keith, we're we're done. We're done for today. Great podcast. And we're done for the offseason because as of next week, we will be talking about what we saw at training camp. And following that, we'll be able to talk about the games, preseason games and all that stuff. So it'll be awesome. So, But thanks for listening to the show again this week. Um, And for the new listeners, don't forget, you can find us on the Hawks Playbook website as well as subscribing on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. You can find Keith and Bill on Twitter. Keith is at MyersNFL. Uh, at Myers NFL, Bill is at NW Seahawk, and the podcast Twitter account is Hawks at Hawks Playbook. And find us on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. So uh, until next week, Keith, uh, enjoy uh, the weekend coming up. Uh, catch up on all the good football news and, and get ready to report it back uh, next week on our next week's show. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.